Take mom to the shake zone. Your mom can experience what it's like to endure a magnitude 8.0 earthquake safely, comfortably, and informatively. We'll talk about that coming up. Also, on Mother's Day, the six most meaningful flowers. We'll talk to Angie Cho about that in a few minutes from now. Romana King is a senior editor and columnist at Money Sense, a consumer publication that focuses on financial news and investment solutions. She's also a licensed realtor, and we caught up with her in Toronto. And when it comes to real estate, uh, is this uh, just simply a case of fundamentals, high demand, low supply? Uh, the debate continues, let the market work it out, or others would insist that intervention is a must sooner than later. Uh, if it were that easy, um, how would uh, we come up with these various solutions that you have? The eight possible solutions to Vancouver's crazy real estate market. What I tried to do is I tried to look at all the all the studies, all the analysis, all the investigative reports that have been done by various individuals and organizations across Canada, and I tried to provide some sort of context to all the problems that are going on in Vancouver, because Vancouver's real estate market is is unique. I think that that's what people in the rest of Canada don't really understand. It's a hot market, and yes, there's a supply and demand situation here, and I think that applies across Canada. Whenever you have more supply, or sorry, less supplies than than you do demand, you're going to have a run up in prices. Thing is, in Vancouver, there are certain things that are happening that I don't think are happening in the rest of Canada, or at least not all of them are happening in the rest of Canada, like they are happening in Vancouver. Well, so many people try to parallel, the. before we get into your, the, these eight items, so a lot of people parallel what's happening in Vancouver is the same thing that's happening in Toronto or vice versa. But from what you're saying, I, I detect that might not be the case. I, and I don't think it is the case. I'm, I'm familiar with both markets. Um, I, I'm a licensed realtor in uh, in Toronto, and, and what I'm beginning to understand is that there are differences, and some of the difference, differences come in just the provincial organizations and associations that are involved with realtors. I don't want to beat on realtors. I think realtors do a very an excellent job, but there are a few bad apples. And pr- the problem is, is that some of the real estate boards and associations that are they're out there to govern realtors' behavior, or at least arrest bad behavior, maybe haven't... Uh, done their job or maybe they haven't done enough of a job to actually hinder poor behavior in Vancouver. And that's allowed, you know, bad apples in, the, in real estate and bad apples in, in you know, in, in any form of the real estate market to actually go in and find loopholes, ways to actually take advantage and make money on a really hot market. Romana, can we get to some of these? Because uh, I want to, uh, in the interest of time, I really enjoyed the article in Money Sense and I wanted to be, uh, be able to at least go through these eight in terms of uh, highlighting some of the points made, we won't get through each detail. Of course. So the, the article is referring to the, the, the eight solutions. The first solution I suggested was more data. I know that there's a lot of criticism from the um, academic side that's saying, you know, we've got enough data. I think the problem being is that it's not standardized. We don't have a main source or, or you know, clearing cash for that data. So the government is stepping in and actually saying, yes, we need more data. We need to understand who's actually buying uh, the impact that has on the market for Canadians and for, um, you know, as regular homeowners. And I, I think that's the, the, the first sort of step towards a solution is we need really reliable, consistent data. We're talking to Romana King, senior editor and columnist with Money Sense Magazine. She did a column on the eight possible solutions to Vancouver's crazy real estate market. Is that how Toronto people view us on the West Coast as crazy? 
<laughs> Toronto, Montreal, Nova Scotia, just about anyone outside of Vancouver. Well, we talked about the need for more data. Uh, number two on your list is stiffer penalties. Yes, and we, I mean, it was something that was recommended, I think, uh, Alberta and Ontario, so that you could, you can find a realtor that has acted inappropriately up to 25,000. Um, since then, not even since then, but in March, April, sometime around there, uh, the real estate associations have actually, you know, had a vote and they've actually increased the fines. So now there's a maximum fine of 30,000 per inf- infraction. So I think it's uh, up to a maximum of 90,000 per, per uh, sort of brokerage in real estate. Mm-hmm. So they've done that. They've actually taken a step towards implementing a solution to this crazy market by, by increasing those fines. Well, and that uh, leads us into item number three, which we kind of talked about. So we'll, we'll go over it. But uh, we refer to the Real Estate uh, Council of BC's Independent Advisory Board. We've had uh, a member of that board on the show. In fact, just last weekend, I spoke to uh, Tony Giaventu. Uh, he doesn't want to talk too much about what they're doing other than to go over what's been released in the interim report. The final report will come out in June. We'll find out what they have to say then. So let's go to number four, because this perhaps may be one of the more controversial issues, and that's to change how we tax. Yes. Well, this is, I had written a column, and I was really interested in affordable housing and how to make it more affordable. I spoke to a uh, professor, Professor Davidoff, who's at the at UBC mm-hmm. Sauter School of Business, and he had a wonderful suggestion backed up by research, and he said, you know, it, it seems rather odd that we would tax income so heavily, something that we work towards. We work towards getting a career and, and getting education and building all the, our expertise up, um, and yet we're taxed so heavily on that. But something that's really quite random, where you buy your house and how much it appreciates, there's no tax on that. So if I sell my principal residence and I happen to buy in a great neighborhood that appreciated 25%, well, I don't get taxed on that appreciation, but it's a very random decision. What are they doing in other jurisdictions? Well, there's nowhere else in Canada where they're actually taxing capital gains on principal residences. But in the U.S., they do. They have a cap. You can shelter a portion. I believe it's up to 250000 of the gains. But anything above that, you're taxed on. And that actually seems a bit more reasonable. You don't lose your tax base, but you can lower your income tax. Now, people that actually work to increase their knowledge and expertise and, and put more into the economy uh, through education and working would then receive you know, a better treatment under, under, under income tax. And you know, those of us that happen to buy in a great neighborhood and see appreciation, well, we're taxed on that. Mm-hmm. What about places like Hong Kong, Australia, Singapore? These are areas that, that a lot of people that have pointed to that maybe they have models we could follow here. Yes, exactly. And, and this is different types of tax. But it's not necessarily taxing, you know, the, the sale of your principal residence. But they do have different taxes. For example, in, I believe in Hong Kong, if you're a foreign national, if you come in and you don't, you're not a Hong Kong uh, resident or a Hong Kong citizen, you're taxed 15% on that. So you have to pay an additional 15% for the home you purchase. Um, and I believe it's the same in other jurisdictions. Australia is the same. If you want to go in and, and buy something, first of all, you can't buy any resale. You have to buy a new build. And you also have to pay a premium. You have to pay a tax. Well, that'd so get the heritage things. people up in arms, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, and there's other countries that require you to actually sell your your house if you're going to leave the country. So I believe it's Switzerland. I might be wrong there, but it might. I believe it's Switzerland. If you buy and you want to leave, well, now you and you're not a citizen of Switzerland. Now you have to sell the, the house. What they're trying to do is they're trying to keep the stock of housing within the community of people actually living in those homes. What you're trying to do is you're trying to make people that are actually impacting the market but put very little into the economy 
you're trying to get, you're trying to make them pay a premium to play in our market. If you want to come and buy in our market, that's fine. But since you don't contribute in any other way to our economy, you have to contribute this way. Somehow, yeah, and that's uh, uh, item number. Well, number five is plug the property tax loopholes. Uh, number six is focus on community. I, I I think that's an important part too. This is another story that we talked about with the Van City report on agricultural land reserve being bought up by speculators. Uh, that is protect food. That's item number seven, if you touch on that. And number eight, change how we build. Those two almost go hand in hand. They really do. I mean, one thing that we don't realize is that the more we encroach on fertile land, farmland, and that happens in Toronto as well as Vancouver, uh, the less you know places we actually have to actually grow food. That's going to impact local markets. It's going to impact jobs. It's going to impact a lot. So we do have to protect that fertile land. I think that governments have been spotty about that, you know, sort of very ad hoc. I think probably what I really am concerned about with that Van City report is that many of the owners of that fertile land are not the farmers themselves. It's you know, leased out by people that have yeah. no interest in actual farming. They're just trying to get the biggest bang for their buck. Well, well they, yeah, at some point they want to build right? estate homes and that kind of thing. Exactly, which is they're going to make more money. So then all of a sudden you're losing that farmland. And, and, and I think the government really does need to step in and protect that. That's, that's really only a government thing that, that can be done. Uh, where can we get a hold of uh, that article and where can we read you, find you? Are you on the Internet, uh, in print? Uh, you can find me on our website, which is uh, MoneySense, M-O-N-E-Y-S-E-N-S-E.ca.com. Um, I can also be found on Facebook, RK Homeowner, as well as Twitter at the same handle. Romana King, Senior Editor and Columnist at MoneySense. I like this idea that it has been, we talked about this before on this show and elsewhere, uh, Tom Davidoff, who first presented the idea of changing the taxation system. And I think you'll find some of the details uh, that are contained in Romana's article uh, very interesting and really using a lot of common sense on how we can at least maybe douse some of the flame that's uh, raging out of control in the Vancouver real estate market. She was uh, very, very uh, good to talk to. I really enjoyed what uh, she had to say. Uh, stay with us. We're going to the quake zone. We're going to see what it feels like to be at 8.0 magnitude. It could happen. That's next on Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. When it comes to disasters, as we're seeing in Alberta, safety must remain the top priority. BC is considered a high-risk earthquake zone, so we should all be prepared to be on our own for a minimum of 72 hours by developing a household plan, putting together an emergency kit, and connecting with neighbours. By planning ahead and practicing drills, you and your family will know what to do. Insurance Bureau of Canada has teamed up with the province, 34 municipalities and universities to shake through Greater Vancouver, Vancouver Island and the Sunshine Coast to spread the message, preparedness is vital. As IBC Shake Zone Tour makes its stops across BC, it's an opportunity for you to experience an earthquake in a safe and informative environment. And to tell us more about that, we're joined today on Vancouver Consumer by IBC spokesperson Aaron Sutherland. Thanks for being with us, Aaron. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you've already been in North Delta yesterday in Langley at Willowbrook Mall, and today the Shake Zone is at Metrotown Mall starting at noon until 5.30. What's the reaction when people climb in or climb out of the Shake Zone? Oh, it's been pretty incredible, Ian. Um, you know, we know we face a significant risk here in southwestern D.C. The science now tells us there's a 30% chance a significant earthquake will strike the region in the next 50 years. And really, that's a topic that we don't feel gets enough attention as it deserves. 
Uh, and that's what the TX Zone Tour is all about. And so getting the opportunity to go in and experience a large-scale, large-magnitude event uh, in, in a safe environment really brings it home as to how impactful that will be and really how vital it is that we all improve our preparedness now. Well, how does it work? Uh, well, it's, it's essentially a, it's, it's a trailer. It's got a bench in there. Uh, so it's, it's almost like sitting on your couch. And then it really ramps right up to an 8.0 magnitude earthquake or equivalent. And so you, you can you sit there and you can really feel what that's like. And I can tell you right now, you won't be standing in that kind of event. And that's why it's so important to know uh, both, you know, stop, stop, duck cover and hold on uh, and really get under something to protect yourself. And again, this this simulator really brings that kind of message home for individuals. You talk about 8.0. That's enough to do significant damage, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You will. You, it, when you're in there, you can really understand why it's so important to if you have um, you know, high chests of drawers or shelving or anything like that, you really need to secure that because in this type of event, that stuff will come crashing down, and that's why it's so important to, to get under something. We're generally a pretty complacent society. Uh, I think that's a Canadian trait. Uh, but does something like this in the shake zone, when somebody's had that experience, uh, does it move someone to action in terms of putting a preparedness kit together? Well, that's what we're hearing. As people come out of this and say, wow, that's what it feels like, um, that's that's the message we're getting from them. They're thinking, okay, now I really need to go out and do something. Because, as you mentioned, the unfortunate reality, well, the fortunate reality here in BC is we haven't had uh, a large-scale large, large scale event like this. We don't have that historical memory that says, you know, prepare now, never let that happen again. Um, so this, the Shake Zone Tour really brings it home for individuals how vital it is to improve our parenting now. Aaron, what are some of the key steps that people can take to make sure that they and their families are going to be okay? Well, as you mentioned earlier, it really comes down to both physical and financial preparedness. And on the physical side, it's the things you said. It's, it's have, an earth, have an earthquake kit, uh, have a family plan, have food and water for a minimum of 72 hours. Uh, that's certainly on the, the physical preparedness side. But there's also a financial aspect here, and that's where we feel that uh, having earthquake insurance so that you can rebuild following some type of disaster like that is so, so important. Well, I want to ask you about earthquake insurance because many people don't know that it exists, and still others don't believe anything will pay off if there is a catastrophic quake like an 8 or even higher. No, you're, you're entirely right. Um, it's something that uh, it is a separate policy from your standard home insurance. Uh, and it's important to have a conversation with your insurance representative to ensure that you know what you are covered and what you aren't covered for and to find a product that works best for you. Well, there's a lot of places in the Metro Vancouver area. I'm thinking about Delta or parts of Richmond. Uh, we hear the, the term liquefaction. Uh, what good is that going to do anybody to have? And I'm, I'm really not trying to be too glib for that matter. But what good will that insurance do if we're all, you know, waist deep in mud? Well, insurance is really there to help us rebuild and, and begin putting our lives back together. That's what insurers are here for. You're seeing, you're seeing it happening right now across the border in Alberta with the tragic uh, events that are happening up in Fort McMurray. But insurers are there. They're on the ground. They're helping individuals rebuild. It would be no different following an earthquake. And, and again, this is, this is what insurers are here for, and they're here to help uh, in the event of a disaster. Well, I'm glad you pointed that out about Fort McMurray because full props, from what I've been able to see, I can't uh, tell you anything anecdotally personally, but... It seems that the insurance industry really has come uh, with a helping hand and wants to be there to help these people get back on their feet, although we just don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, what else uh, should we know about this particular project? I think this is a good idea to give people with the Shake Zone a first-hand opportunity to feel what it might be like 
What else would you like to tell people to think about in preparing for such a disaster? Well, again, it's really about raising awareness of the risk so we can have a conversation uh, in terms of what are we going to do post-event. It's important to know uh, stop, cover, and hold on, but really thinking about what is my family going to do in the week following this type of event? Uh, we're likely going to be on our own, and that's where we're all going to be in this together. Uh, and so we all need to begin preparing now, uh, having those plans, having food and water for a minimum 72 hours, but very likely much longer than that. Uh, because, again, you can be out of your home uh, for an extended period of time, and we all just need to begin taking the steps now to prepare for that uh, eventuality. Again, with Earthquake, it really is a matter of when, not if. So today on Mother's Day, take mom to Shake Zone at Metrotown Mall, starting not long from now at noon till 5. And then there's other local stops along the way, including SFU, North Vancouver Shipyard Night Market, Richmond Public Works Yard, and the North Shore Emergency Management Office. Uh, is there a website uh, where you can get more information on where and when and some tips on how to prepare? Absolutely. I'd encourage everyone to visit ibc.ca. We've got a, an interactive Google map in terms of where this thing will be uh, over the next few weeks and also some tips on, on what you can do to improve your own preparedness. Looking forward to getting out to one of these stops and trying it out for myself because uh, this is something we need to pay closer attention to. Aaron Sutherland is spokesperson for the Insurance Bureau of Canada, ibc.ca. Do you ever feel like coming off a Playland ride, same kind of feeling that you just maybe shouldn't eat too many mini donuts before you get into the shake zone? It's probably a good idea. It's, uh, it's a, Again, it's a lot of fun, but it carries with it an important method. So thank you so much for having me here today. Ian. This is Vancouver Consumer, and we'll be back in just a moment on News Talk 980 CKNW. Angie Cho is a registered architect, feng shui expert, and Amazon best-selling author of 108 Ways to Create Holistic Spaces, Feng Shui, and Green Design for Healing and Organic Homes. Since 1999, she's been creating beautiful and nourishing environments throughout New York City, Washington, D.C., San Francisco, Los Angeles, and beyond. Today being Mother's Day, a day when it's common to bring mom flowers, we invited Angie to explain the six most meaningful flowers to give on this special day. Hello there, Angie. Hi, Ian. How are you doing? Excellent. Nice to have you with us. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Now, before we get into Mother's Day specifically, uh, let's do a uh, ABC, if you will, or a 101 on feng shui. Sure. Well, feng shui is an Asian art of placement, and it looks at how you can locate and position yourself and your furniture and different things like flowers in your environment to improve your outlook, your stress levels, and to create a beautiful and supportive environment for you. Okay. Is there something in feng shui about flowers and perhaps their symbolism? Yes, absolutely. Flowers bring a lot of joy, and we like to say in feng shui, it unsticks any stuck energy, and it brings in so much life, joy into a space. You know, when you carry flowers around, people always, people always stop me and ask, "Oh, what's you know, what's the occasion?" It's always it has a special um, celebrational quality usually with with flowers. So that's the kind of energy it can bring into your space. Is feng shui um, restricted to Asian culture? No, absolutely not. All forms of all different cultures have some form of feng shui, where they look at their environment to see how they could 
best locate themselves. For instance, like, um, you know, farmers would probably not put them, their homes on the best land for growing crops. And it really depends, but each, um, each culture had their own way of looking at their environment to best locate themselves. Okay. So let's go through the six uh, uh, most meaningful flowers for this occasion. Sure. Um, and before we go into each one, I just want, I'm going to talk about a little bit about the symbolism of each one and then maybe the colors, but I would first maybe pick the flowers or the colors of flowers that your mother actually loves or that you love, and that's going to also add extra special meaning and personalize it more. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so... Um, and just so, just so you know, uh, just so you know before you go on with this, that I, I'm, I'm doing what any respectable son would do for his mom on Mother's Day. So you're getting her flowers? No, I'm going to let her buy me lunch. <laughs> oh, yes, that's, that's what they do, right? That's the what time. most self-respecting <laughs> young men do. I interrupted you. You were getting into the flowers and colors. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. Well, after, um, well, before she takes you out for lunch, you could give her the flowers. It's probably a good time to, to bring that in. Good plan. So roses, roses are a really great option. Roses represent motherly love. And depending on the color, there's different symbolism. For instance, pink can symbolize grace and elegance and happiness. And Pink is also related to the mother element in feng shui, so it also has an additional meaning. Yellow roses signify friendship and joy and devotion. White, what do you think white would symbolize? Uh, I'm thinking cleanliness or something. Right, so purity and virtue and reverence. Good guess. And <laughs> Yeah, it is. Well, it's really natural. You you kind of know what it what the colors mean if you really think about it. Or you could get a multicolored bouquet to symbolize all of these different things to create a lot of positive energy. Mm-hmm. And that's what feng shui is really all about, isn't it? It's about energy, the vibe. Yes, absolutely. It really... Um, if you can start to recognize that you can affect your environment and it can affect you then you have so many tools to support you. And, of course, like if you're in a dark, dingy, dirty room, it's going to make you feel bad and feel sick versus a bright, cheerful space with fresh flowers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. With you so far, what's next on the list? Next on the list, we have carnations. So what's interesting about carnations is that they're – related to Mother's Day because the woman who founded Mother's Day, her name is Anna Jarvis, she distributed white carnations because that was her mother's favorite flower in honor of the holiday. Okay. So it's really a, it's one of the most um, symbolic Mother's Day flowers. Interesting. I thought Hallmark was the most interesting or most prevalent <laughs> flower, but that's probably not right. Well, that, that's, Cards are very important, too. But it's it's a thought that counts, right? Absolutely. Take that and, to the bank, um, see what they give you for it. Yes. Uh, so carnations represent love and purity, and they're also to believe to have appeared on the ground when in, in Christianity when Mary 
cried over the death of her son, Jesus. So it also represents mother's eternal love. And I think that's such a beautiful story. That is really nice, yeah. I got a bit of a chill mm-hmm. when you said that. Yeah, me too, actually. Okay. So carnations, again, like white would represent loyalty and good luck and charity and purity. Mm-hmm. Pink represents gratitude and love. And red carnations represent admiration, love, and heartfelt affection. So far, the carnations are winning with me. Yeah, they're really beautiful. I know that they're sometimes thought as the inexpensive flower, but I use them a lot in a lot of my flower arrangements. And they, um, I love the symbolism. I love that story about mm-hmm. um, you know, the mother's eternal love. I like the whole idea of, of gratitude because uh, I think if there's one thing that we lack when it comes to mom, and that's gratitude. We, we, we often take moms for granted. And and maybe that's one yeah. way we can we can overcome that. Yeah, I think so. And I think that Mother's Day is really an amazing day to remember your mom because yeah, moms often take the back seat. I know my mom does, and she lets herself take be taken for granted and um, and doesn't doesn't um, put herself first. She always puts her kids first, right? Yeah, and and especially your sister, right? Come on, come on, you can admit it. No, no, no. <laughs> Just kidding you, Angie. <laughs> Let's move on I'm to... Right. My sister's going to get mad at me now. <laughs> What's the next one after the carnations? The next one is uh, tulips, and tulips are one of my favorites. So tulips are uh, very uh, symbolic for Mother's Day because they're also associated with this time of year, with spring and Easter. So it's new and eternal life, so they can represent love and happiness. And if we go through the colors, pink tulips represent warmth and affection and loving concern. Red can be true, deep love and admiration. admiration. White is, again, purity and heaven itself. Cream can represent eternal love. Yellow tulips are much more cheerful and represent fond thoughts. And orange tulips is, um, they're symbolic of enthusiasm, excitement, and energetic love. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, locally, uh, we had the Abbotsford Tulip Festival on. Uh, Abbotsford, uh, Angie's in New York, so uh, just for your sake, uh, it's about an hour's drive out of Vancouver, and uh, you see the aerial footage of these tulips, and it's just outstanding, amazing footage. You used to have to at one time go to Holland to see these kinds of photos, to see these kinds of colors, but now we have it right here at home, and it's just amazing. And, and as you said, uh, if, if anything evokes spring and the feeling that that brings, it would be the tulip. Absolutely. I was walking by Central Park the other day, and they had all, in front of the Plaza Hotel, which is a very famous hotel, um, there, there were thousands of tulips, white tulips, and they're just so beautiful, and they stand very proud, and they do represent spring because when they start coming up, the bulbs, you just think, oh, it's spring is finally here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that's the first three, roses, carnations, tulips. We've got six most meaningful flowers for Mother's Day. Can we do uh, the, the next three after the break? Okay, stay with us. Angie Cho is with us. She's a registered architect and feng shui expert and a best-selling author. We'll talk more about the six most meaningful flowers on Mother's Day when we come back on Vancouver Consumer from News Talk 980 CKNW. 
Happy Mother's Day. Uh, we're talking to Angie Cho. She's a registered architect and feng shui expert. She is based in New York City, but her work is seen in Washington, D.C., as well as the West Coast in San Francisco and Los Angeles. In fact, you're from Los Angeles, are you not? I am originally. But you, you went and got married and moved to New York. The way around. I moved to New York, then I got married. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> now we're doing the uh, for Mother's Day the six most meaningful flowers. I'm really enjoying this, uh, and it, it sounds uh, almost a bit silly to even be thinking this way. But then when you talk about and describe these flowers, Angie, it brings some meaning to it and, and it really resonates. So the first three on the list were roses, carnations, and tulips. That brings us to four, five, and six. So what is number four? Number four is daisies. So the word daisies actually means day's eyes, and they're related to children. They're, they are very much known as a children's flower. Like children would gather daisies and make daisy chains to have wreaths. And um, so it's really related to that innocence. And I think it's great because it's, it might be great for like a father to get for the mother on behalf of like young children. Okay. And another thing about daisies is that, you know, um, you take take a daisy and then you pluck each each petal and you do the he loves me, he loves me not. That's with the daisy. So it has this like youthful, innocent kind of feeling. So it's great for a mother with young children. Okay. And what comes and, up? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So white, so white daisies represent the innocence of a mother's love and the purity of her patience and her never-ending compassion. And if you want to be more playful, you can get more colorful, different kinds of daisies. Okay. I like daisies. I like that. Uh, she loves me. She loves me not. Uh, every, I know. I never thought about that. It every kid has done that. Everybody has done that at one time or not. Uh, okay. So uh, next on the list, just I'm um, just in the interest of time, sort of moving this along. Uh, we've got, we've okay. got two more. Orchids. Next are orchids. Orchids are very elegant. They're very luxurious. They're much more expensive. And I like the fact that they're a plant, too. So it can be something that keeps um, growing and flowering later. So um, also in Chinese culture and in feng shui, the orchid symbolizes uh, it could be used as a feng shui card to attract an upright partner. So if the mother is, if mom is single, this might be a good gift for her to attract a new partner in her life. Oh, interesting. So mm -hmm. if you're um, dating a single mom, for example, bring her an orchid. <laughs> if you want to be that upright partner that she wants to meet, yes. Right. Or hopefully she won't meet another upright partner after you give it to her. Okay. I just want to make sure I've, I, I understand that. Um, well, okay. usually you, you'll get it if you, I think, I guess you could give it as, you could give it if you want to be the partner. Yeah, that could work. Okay. I'm not, I'm not about to experiment, but, but if anybody does, <laughs> feel free to, to write Angie. Uh, <laughs> and our sixth most uh, meaningful flower, feng shui for Mother's Day is? Is the lily. Hmm. So... The uh, white lilies signify purity and majesty, and white calla lilies represent beauty, and the day lily symbolizes motherhood in Chinese culture. Okay, very interesting. Now, lilies also have a, a certain amount of uh, meaning in springtime as well, do they not? 
Yes, absolutely. They're very they're related to Easter, right? Easter lilies. Sure. And, uh, and how do they relate to like sunflowers or azaleas or some of the other springtime flowers? Um. Well, they're much different. Azaleas are well. Azaleas are very small, and I have some azaleas in my home right now. They're so beautiful. They're very small, and they're a bush, and they're. Uh, I have these pink ones that are gorgeous, but there's they're they're very busy, and I think lilies are very like like stargazer lilies. They're they're a statement. So you could even just have one lily, and that could say a lot for to give as a gift to your mother. So if you were to give that one lily to your mom, Angie, what would that mean? It would mean that I think she is beautiful and that I love her and I hope that she can treasure the beauty and the, and the, um, the, the symbolism of it and the fact that it's just fleeting. It's there and it lives and it dies and we, we can uh, appreciate life. Yeah. I said off the top that uh, it's important to remember and recognize on Mother's Day or Father's Day or any other occasion, because these are the days when it can be most difficult if you've lost your mother. And uh, we we don't want to forget that either, that this is also a day that maybe people that have lost their mom prematurely or due to illness or age or whatever— to take a moment and to think nice things and how this person created your life. Mm-hmm. And even bringing flowers to the gravesite would be a wonderful way to honor your mother. Absolutely. Holisticspaces.com is your website. Holisticspaces.com. You're based in New York, but you'll work just about anywhere. You're a feng shui specialist, interior architect, and um, you also produce uh, works of art yourself, do you not? I, I do, and I, and I do lots. I arrange flowers as well. Oh, okay. So you're, you're, uh, basically your life is uh, about feng shui and educating people on how that can influence their own life. Yes, absolutely, how we can create spaces around us that support us and nurture us and help us move forward in life instead of holding us back. Right. Okay. Well, I want to thank you and uh, hope that you'll join us again on another occasion to discuss how feng shui may affect us in a positive way as we go about our daily routines. Thank you, Angie Cho. Again, the the website is holisticspaces.com, and we'll talk again. Got some other interesting items uh, having to do with Mother's Day. That uh, just a, a, a study that came out. Uh, this is a story out of uh, Anaheim. Uh, there was a woman that she was at Disney World. I guess uh, I, I think this is Anaheim. Maybe it was in Florida. But the story goes that she uh, was on the roller coaster and she kept going on and on and she kept r- riding it. And then she got sick, as people do on the roller coaster and uh, she kept her sickness kept it kept with her she didn't get better she didn't get better she kept feeling sick and she felt sick uh, it turns out that she was pregnant <laughs> she had triplets uh, sneezy grumpy and dopey that's not true by the way but uh, she did have triplets and she did feel sick and that was because she had the morning sickness uh, mums take up to 45 hours again this is a study and i honestly i don't know where this came from but the study says that 
parents-to-be, moms in particular, and the word they used was agonize up to 45 hours over the name of their new baby. I don't know. Is that meaningful to you? This one is, though. This is a, a touching story about an Ohio high school student. He surprised his mom by asking her to his prom. Trey Potter said he wanted to show uh, his mom just how much he admired her after everything that she'd been through in her life. She grew up in 23 different foster care homes and was pregnant and homeless at the age of 16, and she had never, ever been to a prom. So this kid took his mom because he loved her. Amila Bamji is our technical producer. My name is Ian Power. Shane Foxman is next with CKNW Weekend. That's it today for Vancouver Consumer. Have a happy Mother's Day. From News Talk 980 CKNW.